thread. God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread, episode 90. Well, I've been on a whirlwind tour once again, ministering in the U.S., traveling around there also, seeing family and friends, ran into some of those from the listening audience. It's great to talk to you and get some feedback face-to-face. Uh, after that, to the uh, Philippines and now back to Thailand. Uh, today's uh, podcast, we're still in the book of Acts, and I want to pick up on a few things from last time. We've been in Acts chapter 9, and uh, the last thread was on initiative, the need to act first, not to wait, not to uh, be at the end of the parade, but that a change agent, and that's what the thread podcast is all about, is giving you biblically-based uh, mind food as an emerging Christian leader so that you can understand the practices and the process that goes into it and the heart condition that's needed in order to be a change agent in your generation. Uh, so we said, first of all, that Christians just have to act first. And the the one who is bold and takes that first step, that's many times that sets into action something that's so much bigger than anything you ever dreamed would would take place, but it was just because of that beginning you made the you made the initiative and you took the first step. Well, I want to pick up on that same story in Acts chapter nine, verse twenty nine, and I want to spot a few other factors that are critical to movement leadership. Uh, one of these is in verse twenty nine, and that is the importance of forcing public debate on key topics. Scripture says that Paul spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Uh, We said last time, this is the same synagogue where Paul had stood three years earlier and participated in the murder of Stephen by stoning him. They got so frustrated with the argument that someone finally just picked up a large stone and smashed him in the head, and then everyone in a mob frenzy followed suit. Now, Paul goes back to those same people. He stands before them, and wow, what an intense, soul-confronting discourse this had to have been. I wish we had the words and a little more um, detail about what happened there. What we know is this practically stopped um, stopped the persecution. But it's, it's important as a movement leader that we get comfortable with a certain amount of conflict because that's, uh, you know, you rub two things together, you're going to get heat. And that's basically what conflict is. You have one uh, point of view that's set in place. It does not want to be moved. And someone else wants to move it. And the only way to move it is to apply force. Things don't change on their own. Someone changes them. And so if your family's on the wrong track or uh, you know if you're drifting apart or there's chaos in your home or if you're chronically unemployed or you've got some other problem that just keeps persisting in your household someone has to do something you, you know life doesn't and we've said before hope is not a strategy for improving your life action is somebody has to do something and that's what a change agent does so when people have a certain mindset someone has to force them to think And this is uncomfortable because people don't like to um, open their mind to new ideas. They're they're settled on what they believe and they they don't want to put in the mental effort 
to gain a new belief. They're scared of new beliefs. Maybe they'll let go of something that's the truth and they'll be tricked. And, you know, but to be able to get before them and say, let's reason together. And that's what Paul was good at. And uh, my friend Fred Garman says that Christians should not run away from conflict, which is our typical pattern. We're, um, we're conflict avoiders. But he believes that conflict is a pregnant moment where true change could really take place if we would just become skillful in, uh, in being part of conflict that's uh, healthy and creative. You know, Paul had a conflict. He needed to get before them the concept that Jesus is the Savior. He's the Son of God. He's the one prophesied in the Scriptures and that, in fact, Jesus is the only way that the Father has made a way by which we can approach Him and be made righteous. But He hasn't made a hundred ways and He hasn't left it to men to make their own ways. He made a way. He made one way. It cost Him everything cost him the death of his only son. It, it was a painful, heartbreaking, you know, the worst thing that's ever happened and the best thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe was the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, and God did that. And after God goes to that length to save us, he's not going to say, oh, but, you know, you, you guys can just do whatever you want. If you want to make up your own way to become righteous, I'll accept that too. Sincerity does not factor into this. Um, there is a way, and God has made it. And Paul had to get that in front of the people, and we do too. And it's not a popular concept. It's not a concept that they even have. And so we have to find a way to help them understand it beyond, oh, you're saying you're right and we're all wrong. It's not about winning an argument, and it's not about our religion being right. It's about Jesus and telling the Jesus story. And Paul needed to focus on Jesus. He needed them to think about what the scriptures say about Messiah and what their experience had just been uh, with the prophet Jesus. Um, secondly, I guess as an offshoot, they needed to discuss persecution, the injustice of persecuting people because of their belief system. So, you know, like Jesus, Paul was a radical change agent. He pushed debate. He forced people to think. And that's really what prophetic ministry is. Prophetic ministry is seldom popular. It takes tough people to bring new concepts and new ideas. Not like, uh, you know, today you can have these renter prophets that you schedule them to come to your church and they're going to prophesy all weekend. You're going to, you know, give them an offering to come and prophesy for you. But, you know, it's more like fortune telling. Uh, it's it's very positive. It's telling you you know where you're supposed to go and what your future opens up to be. And uh, it's not biblical style prophecy. You know those those men didn't just have people get in lines and say you know tell me my future from God and they just go one by one by one. That, that's something we've made up. Uh, but they did stand before the people and force them to think. And it was not a popular ministry. And a lot of them, you know, they suffered for their ministry. Saul, like Christ, could never stay very long in one place due to the emotions that he stirred up. But And that's what happens here. You know, he's not able to stay in that synagogue week after week after week. I don't know if he just went back once or he went back a few times more than that. But we know he couldn't keep, he wasn't welcome there. And uh, that the brothers actually had to get him out of town and get him a few hundred miles away so that he was out of danger. Um, and that's 
pretty much what it was with Jesus. He went to town, he stayed a few days, he stirred up the emotions of the people by stirring them to think. But, you know, once you start a fire, you know, fire just keeps burning. So that was the point. God used Paul's words to stir the hearts of sincere God-seeking people the same way that he used the words of Christ. Paul's ministry effectively ends the season of persecution in Jerusalem. And that, that's a season, and the biblical word for season is kairos. It's a concept of time. It's not chronos, which is chronological time, uh, you know, the date and the time. It is a, a season of time, a block of time that's been dedicated by God to a purpose. And this purpose in their life was to purify them through suffering persecution. Everybody in the New Testament church for three years in Jerusalem had to make up their mind if they really, really believed in Jesus or they just liked hanging out with the Christian people. You know, are you willing to suffer for this? And three years of ongoing persecution helped to sort out those emotions and to find, you know, they could find within themselves if they were true believers in Jesus, yes or no. And God had covered the, the church in Jerusalem for that season. He gave them a proper amount of protection. He gave everybody going through persecution the grace to deal with it. But now that season is over, and that's good news too. It means that tough times, on the one hand, tough times uh, come to us supervised by God. So uh, now Billy Graham said, say what you want about the devil, but he's God's devil. And what he meant was he cannot achieve purposes on his own. He tries, but God always twists the work of the devil and he causes it to work good in our life. So if tough times have come to you, understand that God knows about that and that it's part of growth in your own life. Something good in the end will come out of the unpleasantness of discipline uh, and the testing and the trying of our faith, but it does end. It doesn't go on forever. Tough times never last. There's a day on the calendar where the end of that season comes and then a new chapter opens up. Tough times never last. Tough people do. Uh, and this, this season of persecution comes to an end and a new season opens up and it's the season of harvest. All kinds of good things now start to break out. And one of the things that breaks out is Peter as the leader. In verse 32, it says, Peter went through all the parts of the country and he also came down to visit the saints who dwelt at Lydda. Um, you know, Peter goes out on his second missionary initiative his first one was to go to Samaria and bring a true version of the gospel and lay hands on the people there in the great Samaritan revival earlier in the book of Acts. And God anoints and allows his power gifts to flow. And now Peter's gone out on his, you know, he's out of the bunker. Paul helped with that. A new season. The sky clears. Paul goes, Peter goes to visit the whole country, all the different churches. And he goes out of his region and he goes up into the Philistine lands, these old enemies of Israel from David's time. Um, now it's a different situation. And uh, the, the pattern of Peter when he goes out, and, you know, the boldness, and that's, uh, I think, the second thing I want us to see is that in order to be a movement leader, you have to go out. You need to get out of your, your location, your, your geographical spot, get out. You need to spread this thing around. And the pattern that was followed in the New Testament was first, look for allies. Find you a base from which to build in every town. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 32, it says he went and found the house church 
at Lydda. And that became a base for him. And Paul did that in every city. So we need to take our message out on the road and you need to find hospitable places to anchor down and to work out of those places. Because you may have to move on, but those people can follow up your work and can keep fanning the fire. Peter understands a third thing about Christian movements is our movements are not based on just words. Our movements are based on supernatural power. This is a gospel that is a supernatural gospel. We, we're not just talking about a different, uh, a different philosophical system or theological system. We believe that the supernatural world invaded the natural world and that Almighty God was in Christ Jesus, bringing us to himself, and that Jesus left as a proof. He left the gifts of his spirit to his church as a sign. And we are able to do spiritual warfare against the work of God's enemy, the devil. And we can do that in the name of Jesus. Now watch. And so it is demonstrated. And as it is demonstrated beyond a you know, clear debate, beyond discussion, there needs to be power ministry involved with the spread of God's kingdom on the earth. And Peter understands how this works. He sees a man that's been in his bed, verse 33 of chapter 9 in the book of Acts. His name is Aeneas. He has been in this bed for eight years. He is paralyzed. And Peter stands up to him and says, Aeneas, Jesus the Messiah heals you. Arise and make your bed. I want you to notice, I've lifted this up before in previous podcasts, but I just want to point to it again. Notice the command form. Peter understands from watching Jesus, yes, you pray to God, you pray to God every day, you pray to God all the time. But when you are doing miracles, you you might pray for a minute to just know that you're lined up with the Father, and then you speak a command, and you speak that command in absolute confidence. You make it clear that it is Jesus who heals, and that's what Peter's done here. And this healing is going to be a sign of, for other people, and that's what happens. This man gets out of bed. Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. And verse 35 says, And all who dwelt at Lydda and in Sharon saw him, the sign, um, Aeneas, and turned to the Lord. A sign. And then uh, it happens the second time here. You know, Peter has understood this, uh, this power gift secret. You know, the Bible says in the beginning of it, talking about creation, God spoke and he just said, let there be light. It's a command and it happens. And when Peter was in the boat and he looked out and saw Jesus walking on the water, he understood. He said, Lord, command me to come to you. Peter knew that on his own, he didn't have the faith to walk on water. He didn't have the ability to walk on water. But faith is a response to a command of God. And so Peter's waiting. He hasn't ever been commanded to walk on water. You know, God doesn't just give us his power for magic use and to entertain ourselves and others. He says, Lord, command me to do it. Tell me I have to walk on water to come to you now. And so Jesus says one word, come. Peter jumps out of the boat and he is able to walk on water as long as his faith holds still. Because faith responds, faith ignites the latent power in the will of God and miracles are done. And these miracles are done as signs 
to the community. The same thing happens after that in uh, verse 36 in another city. Um, and again, we see Peter. Let's go down to verse 40. Uh, they lead him to a room. There's a woman who just died. She's a sweetheart. Everybody loves her. She's been such a blessing. And they're all wailing. And Peter makes them all leave the room. In verse 40, it says, he knelt down and prayed. Okay, got that part. But then it says, and turning to the corpse, he said, Tabitha, arise. It's a command form. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed on the Lord. And so it was, he stayed there in Joppa for many days with Simon, the tanner, another sign. Now, miracles are signs. And we have to say again that signs, these miracles are temporary because uh, uh, Dorcas, Tabitha, she died again. And Aeneas, he died after that. So the healing is not a permanent healing. It's not a permanent healing yet. These are temporary solutions because death is the final enemy. Uh, but these are signs that the kingdom of God has really come and that Christ is Lord of all and that he will keep his promise and deliver us even from death, that he has started a new world order and that we have entered it. Now, Christianity without miracles is powerless. And anybody who would argue that it's a, it's a higher form of God's way just does not want to read their Bible very carefully. Christianity has always had power. The true gospel of Jesus has always had power in it, and it has to have it. And you might say, yo, what's the point? It's a sign. It's a proof that these aren't just clever words and that we're not just crazy people, but that Jesus really is God who created us, really did die for us, and really did come back from the dead and is returning as King of kings and Lord of lords. This is a gospel message about the supernatural breaking into our broken world to save, heal, redeem, and restore. So it's going to take us being willing to start discourse and to engage people on a mental level with new ideas and new concepts and new doctrines. It's also going to require us, secondly, to get out of our, our location and move around and do outreach and spread the gospel around, intentionally looking for opportunities to spread the gospel. You know, there's the spreading it every day as you go about, but then there's something that's special about organized times when Christians get together and say, let's do outreach and evangelism in a park, uh, at a festival, at whatever is allowable in your culture, but get out. And thirdly, don't forget that it's not just words and it's not just love and smiles. It's power, and God will give you power to pray for people. He will give you power to command miracles. You can cast out demons. You can heal the sick. It's all from Jesus, and it all gives him glory. So let's go out and be great agents of change like our examples in the New Testament. And that takes us to the end of chapter 9. That's all for today in this episode of Thread. I would love to hear from you. So if you want to write me personally, my email is chuck at quinley.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, would you please uh, go on the iTunes um, website there and get in the podcast section and make comments and, and give us some ratings for the show because it'll help 
us to be rated higher so we'll show up in the search engines for other people. Tell your friends about it. Post uh, our, on Quinley.com. You can share that with your friends uh, in a number of ways. We've got a social sharing button down below the episode so that you can help others find out more about this podcast. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time on Thread. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to Quinley.com. 